0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Last week I had, uh, I shared a little bit about um, an opportunity I had to go to Florida and uh, to be a part of a church planters uh, conference down there and some of the things that were happening in the covenant as it relates to church planting. And so uh, this morning I'm really excited to introduce to you a friend of mine. Uh, Tujer is uh, one of the most recent, uh, I guess, to sign on the Covenant Church Planters uh, team page. Uh, I don't know what we call it, but um, is uh, planning a plant a church actually right over by where I grew up in the Midway uh, in Frogtown. So, uh, would you please give a warm welcome to my good friend, Mr. Tujer Towel, if you would? Thanks. Good morning morning. Um, I want to thank Pastor Micah for inviting me here. Do you guys call him Pastor Micah? No, okay. All right. I meant Micah. Thank you, Micah, for inviting me here. And uh, I want to thank you, Awaken, for uh, welcoming my wife and I to worship with you guys today. Um, I'm imagining that some of you, when Micah introduced me, you guys were asking, what's that dude's name? Right? It's okay, we can be honest here, right? I don't, I don't really have a familiar name, um, at least for you guys. I mean, it's familiar with me. But, um, so I, I want to break it down for you to help you understand how to say my name or how to pronounce my name. My name is Tujer. In the Hmong language, it means youngest son. And an easy way to remember how to pronounce it is to remember two things. The first thing is to remember the number two Okay, you can do that. Number two, and the name Roger. But we're gonna throw away the ra, though. Okay, so it's two rise, gone, jer. Okay, two jer. Can you say that with me? Two jer. All right, awesome. That's my name. All right. Um, yeah, Rogers out. Rogers, Roger's out. out. <laughs> Roger's out. <laughs> oh, yours. we're 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 good. We're good. We're good. Uh, a, a couple of days ago, my wife and I we went to the grocery store to uh, refill our five-gallon water jug, okay? You know those big blue containers, you know, really big five gallons? And, uh, you know, when you fill it up, they're pretty heavy. And, and uh, you know, we bought it, pulled it out to the car, and then we drove home, went to our apartment, carried it up a flight of stairs, and walked a couple of yards. And, you know, it's heavy, so I was getting tired, and then I put it on my dinner, uh, put it on the dinner table, and I looked at my wife, and I said, Man, the amount of work we go through just to get clean water. And before I, before I finished my sentence, I just thought, what work did I go through, right? I, I went to the grocery store, turned on a faucet, walked a few yards, and I came home and I was complaining about that, remembering that there are millions of people who are literally walking miles upon miles to go to their closest water source and drinking, many times, contaminated water. And, and I thought about my own parents. You know, they grew up in the mountains of Laos, and the only way they, they could drink water was to cut thick uh, bamboo and then poke a hole through it so it's long enough, and they would carry this for miles, go to the closest river or lake, and fill that up and walk miles back home. And so I thought about my, my really stupid statement there, and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, if, if I ever heard anyone say something like that, I would be like, that dude is not cool. And so I, I, I admit that was not uh, one of my best moments. But I know that you're not judging me from over here because you've probably said things like this too, right? Can I, can I get some? Okay, good, good. I'm not alone here. Uh, you've, if you haven't said it, you've thought of it, right? And, and it's such a common uh, thing for us, especially here in America, that there's a term for it, right? First world problems. This is a first-world problem, and uh, I have a few first-world problems I want to share with you up here. I want food from the back of the fridge, but it's blocked by all the food in the front of the fridge. (laughs) That is a first-world problem. I don't have enough dip for my chips, but if I open another container, I won't have enough chips for my dip. (laughs) Did I read that right? Okay, all right, right. So, oh. That is a first-world problem. My laptop is dying, but my charger is all the way upstairs. This software update requires that I restart my computer. I know you thought this. I know, I know for sure you thought this. These are first-world problems, and first-world problems are simply non-problems that we over-exaggerate and pretend like it's the worst thing in the world. Really at, if anything, they are small inconveniences, but we, we make them like they're like terrible, like they've ruined our life. like they make life so hard. First world problems are not real problems at all, and I think that really we need to live more gracious lives, and we need to repent of that, okay? But however, there are times when life is hard, right? There are times when it's truly hard, not like that kind of hard, but really hard, when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and, every, and all that we have left is despair. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know people in that situation right now? The questions that we're asking in those times are, what do we do in those moments? What do we do when all we have left is despair? What then can we put hope in? If you have your uh, Bibles, um, please turn to Acts chapter 27, verse 13. Well, we're going to be reading Acts 27:13 through25. Um, in, in this passage, we see some folks who are in despair, and we see how a man of God walks in light of that. So I'm going to give a little bit of context so we, we kind of know where we are in this part of the story. Right, Paul is a former murderer of Christians who becomes a Christian and then becomes a church planter, going throughout the Roman Empire, planting churches. And through a series of events, he is put into the hands of the Roman authorities who you know, make, put him through a bunch of trials. And eventually he appeals to Caesar, and they put him on a ship with a bunch of other prisoners to sail across the Mediterranean Sea headed toward Rome. And and they head out during really the worst time to set sail. They head out in October, which is the beginning of winter. And during this time, the Romans called the Mediterranean Sea the closed sea, from October to March, because it was so hard to navigate during these winter months. And we see how this will play out in the, in the text. So we'll pick up the story in Acts chapter 27, verses 13 through 25. We'll just read it through and follow along. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid that because oh, here we go okay because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Cerdus they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along they took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days And the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, "'Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed.'" Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. I'm just curious, who here has been in a sea storm before? Anybody? Okay, one. Okay was it absolutely terrifying? No, not really. Okay. Yeah, it was. Over here? Okay. Kind of kind of scary? Okay. So so I haven't been either and I as we could tell uh, a lot of people haven't. And um I, you know I think when we read this passage I think uh we 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 kind of understand it's a big deal but we really don't too. You know what I mean? And 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 uh, I I have this video I want to share to kind of help us to see, kind of help us to feel and experience what Paul may have experienced, okay? So we'll show this clip. Now imagine that that's a first century boat, okay? Not a modern boat, though. I got seasick just looking at that, okay? But, but that, okay, something like that is what Paul and the crew experienced. Something like that. The thing is, it wasn't just for like a minute. It was for days upon days upon days. And I'm imagining that it was so dark, thick clouds, so much so that the, the text tells us that the sun could not be seen, the stars could not be seen. And, and things are going so bad, there's so many waves crashing upon them, water's getting on the deck, that they, they put ropes under the boat, trying to keep the boat in one piece, right? Because the pressure is going to really bust it up. And then a couple days pass by, they, they're figuring, you know, like we don't want the ship to hit a ground, so we need to start throwing cargo off of the ship so that it rises higher on the water. And a couple more days pass by, and they become so desperate that they throw out the tackle. The tackle is the equipment and gear that they need in order to navigate the ship, the sail, I mean the boat. They become so desperate that they throw it out. And and the reason why they do this is because they can't even navigate the boat at this point, right? Because for days upon days, they had not seen the sun or the stars. There was no compass at this time. And by not knowing where they were going, they were simply just floating out at sea. They did everything that they knew and it wasn't enough. And Luke, who seems to be on who Luke who wrote this, the book of Acts, he writes this, "We finally gave up all hope of being saved. We finally gave up all hope of being saved." Imagine that place of utter despair and utter hopelessness where you just really think the future is death. You haven't eaten for days because of the seasickness. And there is just despair. You know, the interesting thing about giving up hope is that it means that you had hope to give up, right? So they they had hope at one time. They had hope, we do not know in what, maybe in their experiences or in their skills or maybe in the ship, maybe it was a top model ship or something. They had hope at one time, but they gave it up. Just like how they threw overboard the cargo, how they threw overboard the tackle, eventually they threw overboard their hope. They gave up all hope of being saved. And it's at this precise moment, okay, it's at this precise moment that Paul Speaks to his hopeless and despairing shipmates, and what, what does, what's the first thing that Paul says? Paul says, "I told you guys, right? That's what he says. I told you guys, and and that's kind of comforting for me, is because kind of like man, he is he was just kind of like us. I'm sure many of us would have said the exact same thing. Said, so I told you guys, like if you guys would have listened to me, this would not have happened." And then he says some words that are supposed to encourage and inspire and bring hope. This is what he says. Be courageous, guys. Be courageous. No one here will die. The only thing that will happen is that the ship will be destroyed. And everyone's thinking, what? That's supposed to inspire me? The one thing that everyone thought would save them from the storm, the one thing that everyone thought would be the thing that brought them to safety is the very thing that will be destroyed. And this makes sense, right? Because by having the ship destroyed, the only one then the only thing that actually the, the one that actually saves them is then only God. God is the one who saves them, not the ship. <clears throat> Paul tells them that the night before an angel From the God, and this is what Paul says, whom I belong and whom I serve, send an angel to me to tell me that I will go to Rome and I will testify to Caesar. I will tell him about the resurrected Christ. And God has graciously allowed for everyone here on this ship to have life and not die out at sea. And so he says to them again, Be courageous. And he says this thing, okay, he says this thing, it's very important, he says, I have faith in God, I have hope in God that it will happen just as he told me. I have hope in God that this will happen just as he told me. When it comes to hope, the question that matters most is not whether or not you have hope, Okay? What matters most is what you put your hope in. When it comes to hope, it's not so much about whether or not you have it. The question is what it is, what is it that you put your hope in? Right? Because these sailors, they probably put their hope in their skills or their experiences. Or, you know, I've been out at sea before, I've experienced some storms, I've rode out through these things before. But they came to realize that everything that they had hoped in, everything that they had hoped for, was not enough, was not an everlasting hope. It was not strong enough. It was not fertile ground to actually plant seeds of true hope. See, Paul, on the other hand, he had hope in Jesus, the God that he says to whom he belongs and to whom he serves. And we have to remember that in this day, polytheism was the norm, right? Everyone worshipped their own gods, and I am sure that on the ship, folks were praying out to their own gods that the storm would stop and that they would be saved, and yet nothing happened. And Paul wants to say very clearly that the God that I serve is not the same gods that you guys have been praying to. The God that I serve is the one to whom I belong and to one to whom I serve, it's not explicit here, but in, the, in the, the rest of the book of Acts, it's very clear that the one that Paul serves and the one to whom he belongs to is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. The one who is reconciling all of creation back to himself and creating new creation. Making all things new. And this is the thing, though. Paul not only had hope in the resurrected one, he had hope because of Christ's resurrection. Okay, what I mean by this is this. The resurrection of Christ was the definitive point in history, okay? that moment in history where God conquers death with resurrection life. Where death, something that seems so hopeless, is overcome. Paul can have hope even in the most dire of circumstances because he has seen firsthand the risen Christ, the one who has overcome death, the one that has overcome what seems like the most hopeless situation. And it is because of the resurrection, it's because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' resurrection, that on this ship, Paul can be hopeful while everyone else is hopeless. This is the God that Paul belongs to and to whom he serves. I, I think that if we're honest, we have to make the, the confession that we are more like the men on the ship as opposed to Paul. Paul. We are more like the men on the ship as opposed to Paul. And I think the reason why is because we forget about the resurrection, the very ground, the very soil that everlasting hope is actually planted in. Many of us think that when something looks like it's dead or dying or hopeless, that it just is. We have forgotten that we believe in a God who exudes life and not death. And I have good news for us, okay? Good news here that God has not abandoned us. God has not abandoned us. God has not left us to our hopelessness. He sent his son Christ to overcome Satan, sin, and death. And in Christ there is ultimate hope for new life, for new everything. There is nothing that is hopeless. No one is a hopeless cause. No situation is a lost cause. um, There's a woman. Let's call her Sarah. She got married when she was really young. She didn't want to marry this guy, but she felt like she had to. And um, over the years, she began to despise him. She began to hate him. And after many years of disrespect and hatred, and many cases of infidelity, they came to a place of wondering if they should remain married or not. It was in this place of impending divorce that Sarah went to a Bible study, and she heard the gospel for the good time. I'm sorry, she heard the gospel for the first time. She heard that God loved her and that God could forgive her and that God would give her new life. And she wanted that. So she became a Christian and she recognized the wrongs that she had done in this marriage that was leading to this dying marriage. She repented of that. And she she had this question, right? What do I do in this situation? What do I do in this dying marriage? She did what Many of us do. She went to her friends. In, in particular, she went to her new Christian friends. All of her friends in the Bible study that she was going to and also the church that she was a part of, she went and asked them, like, like I'm, I'm going through a really difficult time in my marriage and I'm wondering what I should do. Things have been really hard. And she, sh- she shared with them their, her story. And every single one of her Christian friends told her, you know, There's no hope in this marriage. You should just move on. Just move on. It's a dead marriage. Every single one of her friends said this, except for one. One of her friends listened to this story. One of Sarah's friends listened to this story and cried with her and said, although much wrong had been done, I believe that God can breathe new life into this marriage. Although it seems like a dying marriage, I believe that God can resurrect it. I have hope. I have hope. And Sarah listened to her friend and thought, I believe that God is speaking through her to me. So Sarah, Sarah put hope in God that God would resurrect this marriage. I want to share with you an email that she wrote. One year later, Sarah wrote, I think what happened in my marriage is a miracle because there was no love between my husband and me, especially for me. I don't think I ever loved him, cared about him, or respected him. But now I'm a different person. God is changing me completely. I do appreciate the fact that he is my husband. You know, I used to hate him because I always thought he ruined my life by marrying me. I can't believe how I was able to stay with him for such a long time without any affection and respect, I think I should let you know how happy we are in God now. We pray together, go to church together, and read the Bible together, although not always. Smiley face. Look, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a happily ever after for this couple, right? There's still many more years of healing that they need to go through, but this is the truth. That marriage was restored because of their hope in the resurrected Savior. God raised that marriage back to life. And let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that divorce is the worst thing in the world. I'm also not saying that all things that end are bad because the truth is sometimes things need to end so that new life can begin. However, what I am saying by using this illustration is that We as Christians, okay, this is the point, we as Christians must be a people marked by hope. We must be a people marked by hope because of Christ's resurrection. It is through Christ's resurrection that we can actually have an everlasting hope, a hope that lasts forever. And this is one of the greatest gifts about being a follower of Christ, right? That we believe in a God who is big enough that can handle things that we think are hopeless. That God can transform every single situation, any relationship, anything that we encounter and are part of. There is nothing that is too big for God. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we have the blessing and responsibility to be a people marked by hope. And hope is one of the greatest gifts that we can offer to our broken. And yet beautiful world. hope. Let's pray together. Gracious God. I confess that <clears throat> there are things in my life that when I look at, I just think it's hopeless particular relationships, particular situations. And I forget about your resurrection. I forget that even in the midst of despair and of terrifying storms, you can and will overcome those things. Lord, give us a hope that lasts and help us to be a people marked by hope. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.